Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for uh, those who have gifts uh, to, uh, to lead us in worship. Amen. Uh, in the Old Testament, um, the Bible says and teaches uh, that uh, in the temple that they would appoint singers and appoint musicians, those who were skilled and those who were gifted, and we certainly are, are blessed as a church. I, I was sitting there thinking with just Don and all the, the good work that does here weekly uh, as and leads us in worship. The very first church that Mindy and I went to was in a, a coal mining town in the western part of the state of Kentucky, and, and uh, there was a, a little lady playing the piano, and she was terrible. I mean, she's just terrible. And... Uh, uh, God love her. God bless her heart. It's okay to say something like that as long as you say bless their heart, right? And, uh, and just to go from that and, and uh, you know, I'd preach and just preach my heart out and we'd get ready to give an invitation. She'd play and just kill it. I'd G-drop hymnals and hit bad notes and it's just awful. But she'd been on a piano bench down for 30, 40 years and you dared not move her off. So, uh, so just really thankful for, uh, for good musicians and vocalists and people who are faithful who, who serve the Lord. And it's a great ministry, isn't it? Amen. So we're grateful for that. Hey, before uh, I share with you from Scripture, I want to uh, just uh, share something with you from my heart. Um, two weeks ago on the 21st of November, we uh, had a missions commitment Sunday, and you know, and we shared with you leading up to that week the different ways that God was at work through Hillcrest, and shared with you all of our mission partners and missionaries, and how we were working here locally and extended and and our missionary partners like the Milams in Portugal and the Crosbys in Indiana and in and, and not Indiana, India. And uh, so we shared a lot of that and how you could be involved. And we called for all of us to be in prayer and to be seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit to uh, perhaps greater involvement and to be more committed in some of those areas and then also to make an investment missionally towards our mission offering. And and I'll never forget, this, this will be something that I remember for a lifetime. Um, as we started, Minnie and I had made a commitment to give, and so I walked down these steps and placed our mission offering here on the altar and, and invited you to come, and a large portion of this congregation came forward, and what I will always remember is you kneeling here at the front, people bringing offerings unto the Lord above tithes and regular giving and bringing those offerings here in prayer as we, as we gave that to the Lord. Um, and at the end of the service, uh, Minnie and I got on the road and we're driving to Louisville uh, to be with our four-year-old grandson to celebrate his birthday. And so on the road, I got a phone call from our treasurer, Steve Robbins, and chairman of the deacons, Dale Manning, and uh, they, we talked on the phone, put them on speaker, Mindy could listen, and, and they said, preacher, what, what do you think the offering was? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any idea what that was, you know, and, and, uh, and so they shared, um, and this is what I want to share with you, that we had 173000 given financially in cash and checks, and then a, uh, 
And then another 33,000 was committed in monthly giving pledges starting next year. And that the number that was given, 173, has grown since some more have come in. And that's up to 206,000 plus the 33,000. And so we're right at $240,000 that has been given uh, to missions. And uh, when they shared some of that with me, I remember just beginning to feel some tears of uh, just humility and gratitude to the Lord for, for that kind of gift. And uh, God, God really doubled our, our offering goal. 120,000, if you think about 239,000, another thousand dollars, plug, plug, we would double the goal. So, uh, so uh, that'd be a pretty good, great thing to celebrate. And let me, let me say this to you, to those of you who gave sacrificially, and some of you, you just, you're not in a position, maybe just struggling to make it, and that's okay too. May just God bless you for your, for your sacrifice. And here's what I know, he will. He will bless you individually. And listen, the more that we as a congregation pray and seek his face about mission, being living missional lives, and we, and we demonstrate that with our finances, God will bless this church more and more and more in ways that we cannot imagine. Amen. Uh, he cares about the mission. And when we get in line with him and we demonstrate that we're passionate about that, he will just bless us as a church. Amen. And so God bless all of you who have given and uh, just, uh, just is really amazing. If you still haven't given, we'll, we're going to take the offering up through the end of the year. And so if the Holy Spirit is leading you to still to do something, you still can turn those in. All right. So I uh, wanted to share that with you. Uh, let me invite you to open your Bible uh, with me to the gospel of Luke and consider the announcement that uh, God provides to Mary that she is going to have the Christ child. And so we'll read there in just a moment. Just for the context, Luke is the writer of this gospel. He was a physician, a, a man given to detail. There's probably more details and little insights in the gospel of Luke than some of the others. And, and in the very opening of his gospel, in the first four verses of chapter one, he conveys his purpose for writing. He says that he has gathered facts and details from the many different eyewitnesses surrounding the person and the work of Christ, and he put all of this information, he says, into an orderly account. He directs it to a Roman official named Theophilus, but it's certainly applicable for all of us, and his aim, he says, is that everyone who might read it would have certainty concerning the gospel that they would be certain, that they would have confidence and conviction of the reliability and accuracy of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Someone has said, what you believe is not worth much if you're not certain that it's true. Are you certain of the gospel? That it's true? Are you certain that Jesus is who he claimed to be and you are certain that Jesus did everything the Bible says that he did? Are you certain of your salvation? It was interesting to watch Andy, a dad, baptize his son Ethan, who is a college student at Blue Mountain College. And Ethan had made a profession of faith at a young age. And then comes to the realization when he's older that he wasn't really saved. 
several weeks ago, Mindy and I gathered with and had the wonderful privilege of meeting with some other ladies of this church. And so Mindy and I, around, around seven or eight women, gathered together and began to pray and share some things. And I asked all the women in that group to go around the room and to share their testimonies. How did they come to faith in Christ? And, and they all went around the room one by one and began to describe their journey of coming to know Jesus. And almost every one of those ladies had a very similar story. They all had grown up in church and all had made some kind of profession of faith like Andy Milam, all of them something when they were a little child, grew up in church, only to realize much later in life they didn't really know the Lord. They weren't saved. They had lived earlier with clarity about who Jesus was and what he did, but without certainty regarding their relationship with the Lord Jesus and they weren't saved. And they weren't saved. They didn't really know Christ. And so my prayer is that all of us would have a greater spiritual assurance and would live our lives in such ways that everyone around us would know that we're walking with Jesus, that we're Christians. And I want to say, if you're here this morning and you're not sure that if you died tonight, that you would spend eternity with God in heaven. If you're not sure of your salvation, then to this morning, as God's Spirit speaks to you, that today might be a day of real, genuine repentance and faith in Christ. This text is a very familiar story. We're going to read it. It's the Annunciation. It, and uh, found that one of the challenges of all too familiar Bible stories is they are prone to lose their significance to us. When they become overly familiar, we lose our sense of awe over God and what he has done and who Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit works. And so may God bring renewal to us as we read these familiar words. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I invite you to read with me. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her 
who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this familiar story, for the fact that you have provided for us written testimony of your mission-like character and nature of sending your son to be with us. We simply ask humbly but in bold faith that it would please you to rekindle within us a sense of awe for the mystery of the incarnation that in the fullness of time you sent your only son to be born of a woman named Mary. Born under the law to keep the law, satisfying all of your righteous demands and therefore becoming the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and guide us into all truth, bringing forth certainty, deep assurance in us of our relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to just invite you to keep your Bible open and work through this text with me and one of the first things you see here in the first two verses, verse 26 and 27, is that Luke introduces us to Mary and Joseph. This is the first chapter where the angel Gabriel now has made a second visit, providing a second prophecy. Five months earlier, he, this Gabriel, this angel visits Elizabeth in her old age. And you remember the, the Bible says that she is old and barren. The word barren literally, I looked that up, literally means to be dry, to be cracked and lifeless. Dry, cracked and lifeless. She's barren. She and Zacharias, her husband, have never been able to conceive. But angel visits, provides this message, this prophecy, and deliver, tells her that she is about to experience an upcoming pregnancy. And sure enough, after many years of the disappointment, finally about to become first-time parents in their old age, the text then moves from the city of Jerusalem there in the south to the north to a little area of Galilee to a city of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small backwater town with a bad reputation. And one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Nathaniel, was the one, he's known for his honesty as one of the 12 and he was the one who raised the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Verse 27 conveys that there is this young woman by the name of Mary who is both, he says, a virgin. She'd never been physically intimate with any man. And second, she's betrothed to a young man named Joseph, a descendant, the text says, of King David. In Jesus' lineage, somebody will say that these Two, Mary and Joseph, not betrothed, they're espoused. Uh, the point is they're engaged. Today, if a couple uh, announces their engagement, it's just a way of indicating that they're going to one day become legally married. But in the Bible, betrothal was already legal, already binding, only to be broken by filing for a written divorce. It's interesting uh, to me that prior to this story, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're older, and 
toward the last days, living in a more suburban city area. And here you had Joseph and Mary, they're young, just beginning life together, living in the country. And in either case, how God works has nothing to do with their ages or where they're from. So whether you grow up south of the Mason-Dixon and you root for the Ole Miss Rebels or the Mississippi State Bulldogs or you grow up north of the Mason-Dixon a few minutes outside of Ann Armour go and root for Wolverines, God works in us all. Especially I want to encourage those of you who are young as well as those who might be a bit older never to sell God short on what he can do in your life. Honestly, if you would have told me several months ago that God would move through the Holy Spirit and we set a pretty lofty mission goal, $120,000, and if you would have told me a couple of months ago that God would double that, I'm not sure what my response would have been. Maybe you would have lacked faith that, uh, that something like that would happen. But whether you're young or old, all children, teenagers, senior adults, no matter of age, God's promises apply to you. So if you're a young person, don't do like I did. If you're a young person, and I used to, my early years, I was raised in church, but I got a little bit older in high school, and I began to think that I'll get serious about God later, later on, and, and, and so I put it off. I put God and walking with Christ off, and so don't, don't think like that. If you're older, don't go, give up and think that it's too late, that my best years are behind me, you know. You might, the Bible says why we get older, we might waste away outwardly, but it talks about the inward man, the inward woman, the inward person of the Lord can get stronger and stronger, and so God works despite age, young or old. Then notice in verses 28 through 33, Gabriel's greeting. He appears to Mary, and notice he, the Bible says he came in. He came in. Perhaps Mary was in her bedroom. Mary maybe was like our three teenage daughters, like to spend a lot of time alone in the bedroom. And perhaps she's in her bedroom all alone, and this greeting comes from this messenger, a command with it's a mild charge, a mild command. It says, rejoice, followed by three observations, clearly, that are unknown to Mary. The first, you are a favored young lady, graced, chosen. Second, the Lord is with you. And third, you are going to be blessed among all women. And Mary's response is, it's not one of rejoicing. Rather, the Bible says in verse 29, she's troubled so deeply so, trying to figure out what's going on. I'm sitting here in my bedroom by myself, minding my own business, perhaps trying to get away from my little brothers who are driving me crazy, reading a book, thinking about my friends and thinking about my upcoming wedding and who is this, what's going on? I'm not rejoicing. In fact, who is this person? Who is this one is delivering this message. I'm not graced, highly favored, blessed among women. Those kinds of phrases do not line up with Mary's thinking at all. And I can tell you something I've discovered over the years of uh, pastoring a church, of getting to know people and talking to them and hearing their stories and walking with them through life. Most of us, most of us, 
don't think highly of ourselves. In fact, more people are hard on themselves and critical of themselves and many people beat themselves up. They don't think they're smart enough. They don't think they're pretty enough. They don't think they're strong enough. They don't think they're able. And then you come across a story like this. And I like it because it reveals that God sees Mary much differently than perhaps she perceived of herself. Remember when Jesus first sees Simon called Peter? And you remember what he says? He says, you're Cephas, you're stone, but you'll be called Peter, a rock. The Lord Jesus saw in Peter and believed in him when Peter perhaps didn't believe in himself. A few weeks ago, we worked through the story of Ruth and considered God's providence. Do you remember? Pro, vidence, providence, pro means ahead. Vide is where you get the second half. He sees and he sees too. In other words, God is always ahead of us, always ahead, always working. He sees what we cannot see, has a perspective about your life that you can't know. And not only does he see, and not only is he working ahead of you, he will also see to you, to care for you, and to provide for you, and to bless you, which is why the angel calls Mary to rejoice. He is going to see to her. He's working through her and is going to provide for her, which she later comes to recognize. We didn't read this, but at the end of that chapter, starting in verse 46, it's Mary's song. And she begins to lift her voice and sing to the Lord as some of this, these truths begin to settle in. And then Gabriel begins to break it all down to her in verses 30 through 33, explaining the message. Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be full of anxiety. You're highly favored. You're graced. You're chosen by God. You're going to conceive and bring forth a baby boy, a son, and you'll name him Jesus, one who will save his people from their sins, and he will be the son of the most high, God's son, and will fulfill all of God's word, all of his law, and will rule with an everlasting kingdom. Luke introduces us to Mary and Joseph. He then describes this greeting that Gabriel delivers to Mary, and then in verse 34, we see Mary's response. Do you see it? Read it with me. Mary says, how can this be since I do not know a man? It's not a faithless question. She's not asking, can God do this? Instead, she's asking, how? It's a reasonable question. God, how are you going to do this? How is this going to occur? It's unlike Zechariah's earlier response to the prophecy that Gabriel delivered to him, his response was one of unbelief. He kind of argues with God and he says, no way, we're, we're too old. We, we gave up on having a child years and years ago. That could never happen. And if you remember the story in the 20th verse of this same chapter, because of his unbelief, Zacharias is made mute. Read, read verse 20 with me. And Gabriel says to him, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things play, take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. 
You know what that means? That means that the kind of the application, when we are weak in faith, when we lack certainty, when we're not sure of who Jesus is and not sure about what he's done for us and not sure of our own salvation and we lack faith and are weak in faith, we also will become mute. We'll also be silent, failing to speak up for the one that we know to be true. But with Mary, the angel Gabriel does not rebuke her because her question builds on faith. Again, it's not if God can, but how. And notice his explanation in verses 35 through 37. His answer is one of, of remarkable mystery and yet clarity. Look at verse 35. Mary, this is how God's going to do this. The Holy Spirit will move. The Holy Spirit will overshadow with the full power of Almighty God. And we don't know exactly how God did this. But we know that God the Father working through Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead working in perfect unity and oneness, bring forth the Lord Jesus from Mary's womb. Mary in her full humanness with the agency, without the agency of any man conceives by the mystery of divine intervention. That's the gospel. She will conceive a son who is fully God and fully man without, any, without the agency of any man, fully divine, fully human, fully righteous, being one who was one equal with God, fully man to provide the sacrifice that we needed. Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins, the only way for us to be saved from sins, the only way to be saved from hell and eternal separation from God. And to encourage Mary even further to bolster her faith much more, verse 36 says, and Mary, let me tell you this, your relative, Elizabeth, you know how old she is? You know that she's been bearing all these years. Well, guess what? She's in her sixth month. She's pregnant. For nothing with God is impossible. With God, it's nothing that a barren woman conceives in her old age. And with God, it's nothing that a virgin woman conceives in her young age. In fact, it's just like God. And Mary's faith comes forth in verse 38. While Zacharias stumbles in unbelief, Mary yields in faith. She's a model for us. Because even with all of her questions, when she can't see it all, when she doesn't understand it all, how God is working in and through her life, she says, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Verse 39, she makes a faith response. She then heads to Jerusalem. Isn't that what you would do? She goes to check it out, to go visit her relative, Elizabeth. And so she makes her way there, and sure enough, when she arrives there, Elizabeth is in her sixth month, you know, second trimester, end of the second trimester, belly probably pooching out there a little bit, you know. And the baby begins to move. The Bible describes that in these two, this older 
relative Elizabeth, along with this younger relative Mary, those two ladies, share their stories. God is working to bolster Mary's faith. God is working to bolster even Elizabeth's faith. Imagine her thoughts. Remember earlier when Gabriel first speaks to her and commands her to rejoice? Have you ever read her song? If you have your Bible, look down with me at verse 46. She comes to a place of trusting the Lord. Even when she doesn't understand how God's at work in her life, perhaps how God is at work in her life was nothing that she would have ever picked, nothing that she would have ever planned for. But look at her song. You remember the command to rejoice? And Mary said or sings, Oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He's with me. And you remember he says, Graced and blessed are you, Mary. Continue to read verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Blessed, graced, the Lord is with her. She begins to rejoice and sing praise to the Lord. And all the while, all the while, questions, lots of questions are going through her mind. Lots of questions. In spite of all the unanswers, all the answers to all these questions, can you imagine her trying to explain this story? With her trying to explain this story to her mother, as she still lived at home with her mother and dad, and as a pregnancy began to show itself, and somehow trying to explain this to Joseph and her grandmother and her in-laws and her Girlfriends, oh, what a scandal. What a scandal. God's at work. She's going through some tough circumstances in her life, but she walks by faith one day at a time and worships the Lord and rejoices in Him. In Him, not in the circumstance. She rejoices in the Lord. You may have some questions this morning about how your life is going, how things are happening. Uh, think about those of our own congregation, our own church family. All of a sudden are hit with some news that's unexpected. Receive some information that's pretty heavy and don't understand why and have questions. Go through some struggles. Not sure what the future holds. I want to encourage you this morning, like Mary, to walk by faith and to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you and you are graced and he is blessed and he promised to never leave you. He, in his providence, is ahead of you. He is working and he will see to you. He will care. God can bring forth life when there doesn't seem to be any way possible. 
I want you to ask you to think about your life and think about those around you. Do you do you and are you demonstrating faith in God that he can turn things around, that he can still move mountains, that he can restore and revive and repair? That with God nothing is impossible. Even when, like Mary, you don't see how and you can't see the way forward and the future, remember his providence. He sees, and he sees too. And invite you to trust in him and settle the issue. This is, this is a big issue. Do I believe that God's plans for my life will always be better than my own? Practically, that means... Will I submit to the word of God and live for him by faith the way that he's called me to live for him or am I going to choose to take actions to t and put matters in my own hands and do my own thing and go my own way? Do you have certainty about that? That God's plans for your life will always be better than your own, whatever they may be? That the temporary issues that you are going through are being used by God to bring about some eternal blessings, some eternal rewards, some eternal fruit. I, I think that all of us are prone to forget this. For we live in the moment. We live in this present way. And sometimes we slip into the pattern of thinking that this world is all there is and this is our home and forget about eternity. I want to encourage you, like Mary, to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I want to invite you this morning to spend these next few moments in prayer, renewing your faith in God. And as an expression of our faith, I want to invite you to come to the table together, to the Lord's table. If you know for certain that you are saved, that you are a Christian, that you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, and you are living for him, and by his grace you are committed to him, then we invite you to come. And so at this time, deacons, would you come and to, to, the, to the stations, and after a few moments of prayer, those of you ready, come and take your bread and receive the cup. And as a sign of our unity in Christ, after everyone has been served, we'll take the bread and cup together. Would you use this time to pray and just say, God, strengthen my faith to trust in you, to rejoice in you when I don't see and understand all of your ways. Let's pray together. come to the Lord's table as you're ready.
Jesus said, let this bread remind you of my body that is to be broken and sacrificed for you. And as often as you drink this cup, let it be a reminder to remember my blood which is poured out for you on the cross. And through the body of Christ and through his sacrifice and shed blood, the Bible says we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Let's take together. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn. We do that, Don, as we close. And um, before we do it, I want to share just a couple of things with you. Uh, we have a, a group that's leaving this week to go to New Orleans to the Baptist Friendship House. Would you stand? I think there's some ladies, a couple teenagers. Uh, those of you going, would you, wherever you are, would you stand? A couple here. I know... Uh, one here, three, I know Becky Thompson's out of town, Madeline, Mia, I think is here. So they're going to go, they're on mission, uh, taking some blankets. By the way, we had, a, they, Madeline, Mia set a goal uh, to receive 75 blankets. They're going to take those blankets, put a bunch of toiletry items in there, wrap those in the blankets, and give those as Christmas gifts to the homeless uh, ladies in uh, in New Orleans, through the Baptist Friendship House. So be in prayer. They'll be leaving this week, weekend, gone, and be serving down there. So we want to pray for them before they go on mission. Amen? That God would use them. Uh, we also had a couple of Sunday school classes this week uh, on mission down at Blue Mountain College, just sharing cookies and hot chocolate and engaging in conversation, just trying to love on students. So we thank the Lord for that. And so I want to want to pray with you, all of you, so before they go. And then, uh, and then we'll share one other thing. We'll be so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the way that you're at work through this church. We pray that each of us would be missional, that we would be kind and 